God willing, if the Lord doesn't come back first or I don't fall down dead, we'll finish Acts 8 today. Acts chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 26 through to the end of the chapter. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come today not to be entertained, not even to, first of all, learn and glean facts we didn't know before, but we come to receive Christ. First of all, in His Word, also in His sacrament, through prayer and singing and through His people. Lord, we pray that You would bless the reading and the preaching of Your Word to this end, that You would help us to see and to understand so that we would have Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and read God's Word. Acts 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He, he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Isotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. You've probably heard the phrase, uh, God has a big tent. Uh, It's usually used with 
people who want to be more ecumenical, include more people inside the tent, right? You've probably heard that terminology. And in this passage, the tent is indeed expanding. We've seen the story of uh, the Samaritans and the gospel going out from the Jews and, and now branching out farther into the Samaritans with the evangelism of Philip. And uh, we should rejoice at the expanding, the growth of God's tent. At the same time, though we rejoice, we should never forget the, que- the, the question that the Ethiopian eunuch asks in verse 34. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About whom? Yes, Christ's tent is expanding, but we always must ask this question. About whom? Because we know from elsewhere in Acts that no other name under heaven has been given by which we must be saved. We must have Christ if we are to be in this big, beautiful, growing tent. This is Christ's tent. It's not, Christ's tent has walls. It's not a boundless tent. And it must be Christ. So I have seven points about Christ. About whom? This passage is about Christ. So the first point about Christ is this is Christ's witness. This is Christ's witness. In verses 26, uh, or in verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. You notice, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go. In God's system, why not? Why does the angel not go? Why does the angel not go to the Ethiopian eunuch? Instead, he commissions Philip to go. This is consistent. We see this again with Peter later in chapter 10. The angel comes, he receives a vision, and Peter is sent. Arise and go. It's not the angel, it's not even the Holy Spirit. It's Philip. This is common even in the Old Testament Um, that an angel would come or God would speak to a prophet, but the the prophet speaks to God's people. The prophet bears witness. Uh, We could think of the story of Jonah. How much easier would it have been for God to just tell Nineveh to repent directly instead of chasing Jonah all around the sea? But God has a purpose in setting up his witnesses. Christ gets glory from our testimony. Christ works through His church. That's part of His glory. That Christ would be on the lips of redeemed sinners. That He's changing us. That He's causing us to speak of Christ is to His glory. As we know, faith comes through hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. That's the way God's economy has been set up. That's the way He's chosen to save people is through the Word of God preached from the lips of redeemed sinners. So that's the first point this morning is that this is Christ's witness. Christ's witness. The second point is we see is Christ's wisdom. Christ's wisdom. 
we see again this call to rise and go, um, go from Samaria. Probably the city was actually called Sabate. Um, the, the region was Samaria. To go from Samaria to go south to the road that leads to Gaza, from Jerusalem to Gaza. So from Samaria to Gaza is about 60 miles. It's like walking from here to Grand Junction. And he says, Luke adds this comment, this is a desert place. Now this is probably a lonely road. It's the road that leads down to Egypt. Not a lot of travel. A desert road. This is a desolate, dangerous highway. And God says, leave Samaria, Philip, where you've seen great results with your evangelism, and go to this little road in the desert. It doesn't make sense. And then he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch. He leaves thousands, perhaps, hundreds or thousands of converts in Samaria for one man. It's, it's absurd to us. But this is the wisdom of Christ. We learn some things about this Ethiopian eunuch uh, from this passage. Uh, Ethiopia was the land of Cush. It would be modern-day Sudan, um, probably. And about 1,500 miles about a five-month journey, this man came and was heading back. Now, the eunuch was clearly interested in Judaism. He came to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know what he was. He could have been uh, interested in being a proselyte, which would be a convert to Judaism, a full convert. Um, there are problems with that, which I'll get into. He could have been a God-fearer, which is basically, uh, I believe in God, but and the God of the Jews, but I'm not going to go through all the steps of becoming a proselyte. Um, or it's possible he could have been a, a diaspora a Jew um, living down there. But he was uh, an official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And this word Candace is not really her name. It's more like a royal title, kind of like uh, Caesar is a royal title. So there were many Candaces. He was in charge of her treasure. Clearly, he was uh, well-to-do. He was traveling on a chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And that day, you don't just have a scroll of Isaiah. You have to be able to obtain a scroll of Isaiah. Now, the reason I say he was he may have been interested in being a proselyte and probably wasn't is he was, first of all, a Gentile. I was looking up, what what is the darkest-skinned People, sure enough, it's people from southern Sudan thinking not only is he a Gentile, but it's painted on his skin. He is not a Jew. So he would have at least been excluded at the temple from the inner courts. He could have gone into the court of the Gentiles. But Deuteronomy forbids eunuchs from entering the temple at all. So here's this man, this twice excluded man, interested in worshiping the God of the Bible at Jerusalem, but he's twice excluded. He can't enter enter into the temple. So here's Philip on a desert road encountering this Ethiopian eunuch, having left Samaria, and it just, it seems absurd. If I were Philip, I'd be kind of explaining to God why he was mistaken 
it makes a lot more sense for me to stay here with these people and, and disciple them, right? Instead of leave. And that's what we like to do. We like to explain to God why our plan is best. We have a, a great deal of wisdom. But here Christ's wisdom is so much more superior. This, this Ethiopian eunuch, not only is he a Gentile who will go back to his homeland and probably spread the gospel, but I think even more so, he's a, showing in God's providence the expansion of the kingdom, the expansion of the new covenant. Because here, this twice-excluded man is now becoming a full member of the covenant and being baptized. So our danger here in, in looking at the wisdom of Christ is that we tend to adopt our own sort of wisdom and we, we become too strategic. We become um, too, too corporate in our church planting, in our evangelism. We forget the leading of the Lord, that His wisdom is greater. We must learn to become faithful in hard places like the desert like to one man as opposed to thousands we must be faithful to God's means which leads us to the next point faithful to God's means is that this is about Christ's word so we've had Christ's witness Christ's wisdom now Christ's word Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So here he's reading God's word. Phillips asks him, do you understand? Uh, I've been teaching devotions at the, at the school to the high school boys here. And uh, we've been going through Genesis, and we came to Genesis 12, and I was asking them, is, is Abraham your father? And they kind of gave me blank stares. <laughs> I said, you know the kid's song, right? Father Abraham. And, and they started singing it, and they all knew it by heart. Had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. I said, you've been singing that your whole life. Have you not noticed what you were singing? They said, no, it's just a kid's song. I am one of them, and so are you. So I took them to Galatians and showed them um, that Abraham is indeed their father, but that's how we treat the word oftentimes, is we just read it without trying to understand here it seems that the Ethiopian eunuch was sitting, reading the scroll of Isaiah and wanting to know what it means, what it means to his life. It's important to Philip. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you have an apprehension of the interpretation of that passage and can you apply it to your life? We have to ask ourselves, do we have revelation-driven lives? That means that the Word of God is not just an addendum to our lives, but the revealed Word of God means something to us and it drives 
our very lives. We see here something of the importance of exposition and the value of interpretation and interpretive input when he says, how can I unless somebody guides me? Certainly we can all, we all have the scriptures and we can all read them and, and interpret them, but we'd be fools not to use the resources around us, to use commentaries, to use the history of the church, to use our fellow brothers and sisters, to use the officers of the church as they were intended to understand the word. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless somebody guides me? There are people called and gifted to that task in particular. There's the history of the church, a great history, 2,000 years filled with confessions and creeds to help guide us at this point. We have a privilege that the Ethiopian eunuch didn't have. But we take advantage of them, we avail ourselves of them because we want to know. We want to know Christ. We want to understand what we are reading. So this is Christ's word in Christ's ministry. And this word prompts a question, giving Philip an opportunity to preach the gospel, uh, which leads to the fourth point, and that is that is, uh, this is Christ's gospel. We'll come back to the passage from Isaiah. So this is Christ's gospel. Uh, verse 34 And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. There's lots of possible questions that we could get from this passage in Isaiah, but the one that he focuses on is about whom? Who is this talking about? And it's a fair question because the servant song passages in Isaiah are a little bit difficult to understand in that way because they begin talking specifically about the nation of Israel. But then as they progress, it's clear that they become more, they're talking more about the Messiah. So he's out wondering, who, who is this about? Is this about Isaiah the prophet? Is this about the Messiah? Is this about Israel? And Philip jumps on the opportunity. He says he opened his mouth. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's the most simple way of, of talking about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. The good news. So we see here first that this is the gospel of the open mouth. He says he opened his mouth to share the gospel. We have to open our mouths. All of our good behavior, because we don't use a swear word, all these things are not preaching the gospel. They may be helpful in coming alongside preaching the gospel. Indeed, our conduct should correspond with the gospel. But to preach the gospel, we must open our mouth and share the news, the good news about Jesus Christ. So this is the gospel of the open mouth. We also see it's the gospel of the closed mouth. Back in 32, 
and 33, the passage from Isaiah. This is from Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, and it's really the greatest passage, Isaiah 53, about the gospel in the Old Testament. So it's in God's providence that he was reading this passage. But we read, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So we see here, this is why I call it the gospel of the closed mouth, where it says, he opens not his mouth. In other words, he doesn't balk at it. He doesn't cry at it. He voluntarily submitted himself to being the sheep for the slaughter. The voluntary Sheep for the slaughter. This this passage from Isaiah describes Christ's substitution for us. The, the voluntary, undeserved affliction. We read in the preceding verses, in verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 53, that he was pierced for our transgressions. Substitutionary atonement. Crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So again, this is this question, about whom? You notice all of the pronouns in the passage. He was led to the slaughter. He opens not his mouth. He, in his humiliation, his generation, his life, Jesus is the silent sheep. Jesus is the innocent brutalized. Jesus is the innocent despised. And all for us. That's good news, right? That's What he says, he preached to him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that passage. It's important, the good news, it has definition to it. Again, I've been teaching, and I've been teaching Stan's class while he's been out, and he wanted me to go over the Nicene Creed and the history of the Nicene Creed with the kids and uh, I was asking them, what do you think about orthodoxy? I didn't explain what that meant, not the denomination, but orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is basically, is your bowling ball in the lane or is it in the gutter? <laughs> right? Are you in truth or are you in er- error? Error to the point of being heretical, that is, not a Christian anymore. That, that's what orthodoxy means. Do we have a faith that has been once for all delivered, as we read in Jude or or Timothy, where Paul says, guard the deposit entrusted to you? Do you have the, the gospel has content? In other words, Christ's tent has walls. It has borders. It's big. It's increasingly bigger with the new covenant. And that's glorious. But it has borders. Do we have orthodoxy? Do we have the good news or do we not? So that's Christ's gospel. Now through the gospel that Philip preaches to him, the Ethiopian eunuch is brought in. He's brought into the covenant family. And that's the fifth point is that this is Christ's covenant. Christ's covenant. So we'll read in from 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, 
Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And we have a few issues to deal with at this point. Um, the first being, I don't know if you noticed, but as we read along, there's verse 36 and then verse 38. Verse 37 is somehow missing. So verse 37 in the King James Version, which it has it in it, is it says, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And just a quick overview of textual criticism or how we got the Bible is we don't have the original manuscripts. We have copies of the, those manuscripts. Right? We don't have the original copy of Luke. And so the process of looking at all the manuscripts from all of history and deciding what was original is the pro- process of textual criticism. And so basically here in verse 37, some of the oldest manuscripts, which are the more closest to the original source, don't have verse 37. So when you're doing textual criticism, there's two things that you pay attention to. The internal evidence and the external evidence. The internal is what is the context of the passage, and the external is the manuscript. So the manuscripts really don't support verse 37 being there. And the internal, one of the the rules of textual criticism is you, you ask, would it be more likely that this part of Scripture was added or accidentally deleted? And in this case, it's clearly obvious that somebody wanted to add it because without it, there's no formal confession of the eunuch. And somebody's thought, man, we should have a confession, a formal confession before he gets baptized. Um, so all that to say, uh, verse 37 probably shouldn't be in the text, but it does give us an interesting historical understanding of what the early church thought was essential to confessing Christ, that is, that he was the Son of God. This is probably 2nd century edition. Um, so that that's the first issue, is verse 37. So I would say we should go on without it. The second is, um, Philip seems to almost be cavalier about baptism. He first baptized Simon the magician. Now he just sort of does it right away, immediately from the chariot, and now he's baptizing him. No no instruction, no, no discernment appears at first. But that's not the case, of course. But the question is, is it the norm? Should we go baptizing Christians the moment they confess Christ? I would say probably not. We need to use care and wisdom. The very early church, they would sometimes catechize new converts for like six or seven years. Like You've got to be a theologian before you get baptized, which is silly. Um, What's necessary for baptism of a new believer is a credible profession of faith and water. And that's what we have here. See, there's water. I believe in Jesus. Baptize me. But we should use care in understanding that this is a missionary situation, that this person, though a full member in Christ by belief, he's going to go away from the church. He's going to go away from anybody to baptize him and go back to his home. So... We should probably take somewhere in between, not baptize immediately, but not take seven years also, but really take time to discern, does this person have a credible profession of faith? 
Um, so th- those are a couple issues there, but th- this really about the baptism of the eunuch is just the, the best part of the passage. And I think it's the point of the passage is that this twice excluded in the old covenant person is now a full member in the new covenant, fully baptized. The expanding and growth of the tent. That's the point of this passage, I believe. That Surely it's about the growth of the gospel to the Gentiles a little bit, but primarily it's about that, about this Gentile, this, this eunuch, becoming a full baptized member of Christ's community. And it's true, the new covenant is more expansive. Every man, woman, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, they're all part of the new covenant. The Great uh, Commission gives us some insight into what this baptism is when he says that you are to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is many things, but one thing that it is is a naming ceremony. You receive the name of the triune God. You're brought into the family of God. So now this twice excluded man is now an adopted son of God with the triune name. The problem that we tend to have with these issues of the, the expansion of the covenant, expansion of God's tent is that either we can have a tiny tent syndrome or a no tent syndrome. We either think it's just us, just us in this room. We're the only, we're the remnant. A tiny tent syndrome. Oh, only Dutchmen, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or we can have a no tent syndrome. This sort of broad ecumenical um, way of thinking that. Anybody who says the, the name of Jesus is in, who, who gives lip service, or even more broadly, anybody in the whole wide world is in. We must understand that there's an expanding tent, and we must rejoice over the expanding tent. It's the most wonderful thing. Every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. <laughs> We must remember that we have to rejoice without also rejecting Christ's boundaries. That this is His tent, His gospel. The question, again, about whom is this gospel? It's about Him. It's about Christ. If you don't have Christ, you're not in the tent. The sixth point here, I said there were seven, there's six. Uh, Sixth point is that this is Christ's commission. This is Christ's commission. Uh, In verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Uh, This is a weird bit of the story like you could kind of interpret it in a way that they parted ways but the most natural reading is he vanished and showed up in his otis that right that's what it seems like it's saying which is very strange to us but actually in the bible it happens several times it happens with elijah it happens with jesus um, and the point is that 
Christ is guiding his commission. He's done with Philip on the road to Gaza, and now he has a new commission for him. Now, the way I think of this is, is Jerusalem's here. I should do it for you. Jerusalem's here. Gaza's down here. Um, Caesarea's up here, and Azotus is kind of down here. So he, he traveled down from Samaria to Gaza, and now he's traveling back up. So all told, this is about a 120-mile round trip. Now, I, I think Azotus is on the coast, so is Caesarea. So I think there's something of a, a flirting with the boundaries of the ends of the earth, if you will. Like the Ethiopian is going to go home, and now he's going to preach in these coastal towns as he goes up the coast, and the gospel is going to launch out from this point in Israel. And wherever Philip went, he says he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel to all the towns until he made it up to Caesarea. Um, I don't. The, the big tent ecumenists don't like proselytization. Don't convince people they're wrong. They're all fine. They're all in. But we believe in preaching the gospel because the gospel, yes, it creates boundaries, but it also creates invitations. It says, here's the line. Here's where you're not a Christian. But we want you welcome. Come into the tent. Be in the tent. Believe in Jesus. Repent and believe the true gospel. Come to this side of the boundary. It does no one any good to just, um, what's the line? There's a line people like to use for hunting. Um, lower, lower your... Increase your success by lowering your standards, right? You go out and the first day of season, you're like, I'm not going to shoot anything less than a six-point bull. Last day of season, I'm going to reduce my standards and increase my odds of success. I'll take a four-point if I see it. Any raghorn bull will do, right? Like, Yeah, just expand the boundaries of the tent and more people can be included. That's not Jesus. The gospel is the boundaries of the tent. Invite them in. I'll conclude with four exhortations from this passage. And the first is to simply rejoice. It says, the Ethiopian eunuch went away rejoicing. He was happy. He was a Christian. He, he had taken all this effort to travel to Jerusalem, and he probably couldn't even go in the temple. And now he, he comes away. I imagine he was heading back on the road, disappointed with his experience in Jerusalem. And then he goes away from his encounter with Philip rejoicing a baptized full member of the community of God. We, we can rejoice in the same for, for us, that you, even you, are in the covenant community. And we also rejoice at, at the expansion of the new covenant, that every tribe, tongue, nation, and language is, is being saved to the praise of the glory of Christ. So we rejoice. The second is uh, beware of those precipices. So you, you walk kind of a knife edge here. You can fall off the tiny tent side or fall off the no tent side. Third exhortation is simply open your mouth. Take those opportunities to preach the gospel. I, I like the picture of Philip running to catch up with this man, he took effort. He took pains to tell him the gospel. Open your mouth. 
The fourth exhortation is to enjoy Christ for yourself. Um, seek the word for your understanding. Do you understand what you are reading? If not, seek out interpretations and applications. Uh, remember your baptism. That you've been brought into the covenant family of God. Enjoy that. Uh, believe in the gospel for yourself. The gospel is not just something for unbelievers. It's for us every day. Jesus suffered and died and that you might have life and be made a member of God's family. And always remember that question, about whom? Right? About whom? Whether you're looking at the Bible or your own life, the deterioration of the world, whatever it is, about whom? Who is this about? Amen.